Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Our guest today is Tyson Cross. This is Tyson's second time on our podcast. Tyson is a tax attorney who specializes in cryptocurrency taxes. He is here to discuss some tax strategies to utilize during the next bull run, explain how gift and estate taxes affect crypto traders, and to provide some information about all the notices the IRS has recently sent out. Tyson, thanks for being here today. Hey, Sal. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome back. That's good to be back. Always happy to talk taxes with you. Ah, absolutely. And uh, so can you give us a little bit of information about yourself for anybody who's not familiar with you? Yeah, sure. So I'm a tax attorney, like you mentioned. Um, I, I practice in California and Nevada. One of my primary focuses has been cryptocurrency taxes uh, for a while now, since about 2013. Uh, but the other side of my practice is really more traditional and involves tax planning for high net worth clients. And tax planning and cryptocurrency do go hand in hand, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely they do. It wasn't always that way. When I first started in crypto, honestly, there really wasn't much intersection between crypto taxes and being high net worth. I mean, there were some individuals out there, some whales. And actually, I had one client in, in 2013 who was like 16 years old and had something like 25,000 Bitcoin. I think wow. at the top of the market there in 2013, it was like $30 million. But like most teenagers, he was really only interested in buying Lambos and not doing tax planning. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's pretty awesome. I'm sure he's enjoying his, uh, his Lambo still, but what, what's the update now on this guy? You know, I, I, he doesn't work with me anymore. I, he actually ended up losing most of his Bitcoin, unfortunately, um, with some bad investment decisions during the, uh, the bear market there in 2014 and 2015. But, um, you know, I, he's actually a really bright kid. I think he ended up going to MIT, so I'm sure he's okay. doing fine. Well, he probably seemed like a pretty badass guy rolling up in his Lambo and everybody else was coming in their, uh, you know, 97 neon. <laughs> yeah. His parents probably made him sell it, honestly. For somebody like the kid you just mentioned, obviously tax planning would have been important. When would you say is the best time to start tax planning if you plan on making some money in cryptocurrency? Yeah, good question. So there's that old parable that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much true for tax planning. Realistically, you want to do it as early as you can, especially if, you, if you're pretty confident that you're going to be having a, a tax realization event in the future. And so, for example, we've had clients who realistically have saved millions of dollars uh, in that last big bull run in crypto in 2017 and 2018 because they were doing tax planning in 2014 or 2015, even, you know, several years before the bull run. And you don't have to be quite that early, but the idea is really to be thinking ahead. Most of our listeners are pretty optimistic about crypto. So if they're trading and they, they see a bull run happening within the next you know, few months or the next year, maybe it's a good time for them to start tax planning now. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even in the next one to three years, really, um, we've been working with clients already to start setting up some structures. Um, you know, either way, the worst thing you can do is wait until after you've cashed out during a bull run to seek tax advice. I mean, I can't tell you how many people we spoke with in 2018 who had sold during the 2017 rally and wanted to know what they could do to reduce their taxes. I mean, unfortunately, at that point, it's really too late. Uh, aside from maybe maxing out your retirement plan contributions or something really generic like that, you're pretty much out of luck. Yeah. If you want to keep a lot of that money that you made, then it definitely seems like tax planning is the way to go and handle that. 
Right. Yeah. There's, there's lots of ways to save on taxes. I mean, I always caution people, look, there's no magic silver bullet. So don't get me wrong. You're never going to be able to cash out a crypto and not pay taxes to uncle Sam. Um, If anybody tells you that you can, you can do something that lets you put all the money in your pocket and also not pay taxes there, you know, that's not tax planning, that's tax fraud. Yeah. Um, I mean, realistically, something to keep in mind with tax planning strategies is that generally they come with strings attached. You're going to have to give up some control, um, some benefits over the proceeds from your cash out. But as some of the examples will show you, you know, reveal, you still come out on top, but there is no magic silver bullet. Can you tell us about some of those strategies that you're currently using with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But first, uh, let me make the cheesy lawyer disclaimer that everything we're going to discuss here is for general educational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. You should consult with a tax advisor to help you develop a strategy based on your unique circumstances. Yep, definitely. Important to put that out there, get it out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So I was thinking what we could do right now, maybe just start off with a couple basic planning ideas that really anybody can do. You don't need a tax lawyer to do some of the more basic tax planning. Okay, perfect. Uh, So the simplest thing you can do realistically from a tax planning perspective is be very aware of timing of your transactions. So generally, you're going to be better off if you spread out your cash out over two tax years, okay, instead of bunching it up into the same tax year. So for example, instead of selling everything at the end of December, if you instead sold half at the end of December and half at the beginning of January, that would have some really powerful effects. As simple as that concept is, you would lower your tax bracket for both years because you would have half as much income in each year. Um, And by doing that, you'd also help avoid the net income investment tax, which is a surtax of 3.8% on all investment income over $250,000. And I've seen a lot of clients who don't even know about that tax and can hit you pretty hard if, if you are doing a large cash out. Um, and also splitting up the income between years really helps you minimize the effect of any phase outs you might trigger when you have very high income, like you might use, uh, lose part of your child tax credit. You might lose the 199 cap a deduction on pass through income is another big one that can be triggered by that. So, um, really the worst thing you can do, uh, from a tax standpoint is cash out everything right at the end of the year. So let's say you cashed out on December 31st. Uh, your taxes are due on April 15th. That's just three and a half months away. So not only did you perhaps put yourself into a higher tax bracket, you also have to pay that bill in just three months. Um, whereas if you waited one day and cashed out on January 1st, you don't have to pay any taxes until April 15th, the following year. So that's 15 and a half months. Now, of course, you might have to make some estimated payments depending on what your income was like last year and your tax advisor can help you figure that out. But either way, you're significantly delaying your tax payment by selling some or most or all or of your crypto in the beginning of the year. So that's actually a, an important timing point to bring up. And, and this is simple, and maybe even obvious, but it does potentially have a significant tax impact. So for example, if if you're going to do a, a cash out, let's say Bitcoin does end up going up to a hundred thousand or $200,000 of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you end up wanting to cash out and, and sell a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Your tax on that, if you sold it all in one year would be about $240,000. Whereas if you split that sale up 
and did half in you know one tax year and half in the next tax year, um, you could be saving around thirty thousand dollars in taxes just by making that simple decision to maybe spread out your cash out over uh, over that end of the tax year period, and and that doesn't include benefits like avoiding phase outs on the child tax credit or the 199 cap a deduction I mentioned. So it it might even be bigger for you. You know, this is an interesting way of looking at this stuff because we're saying if there's uh, you know, another bull run, there may be people who are listening that know exactly what you're talking about in terms of your tax rate. Cause you had mentioned $240,000 that's at a 24% tax rate. You're going to be instantly put into that tax rate because of the fact that you have income at a million dollars. Am I right about that? Right, right. So when you're high income like that, you're paying the max income tax rate. You're also paying that 3.8% add-on tax for uh, investment income. And so, right, you're, you're automatically right up there at that 24%. Bracket. Yeah. If you're an everyday trader and we hit a nice bull run and you become a crypto millionaire, or, you know, anything like that, you might not know about any of this stuff. So this is really good to just kind of, even the basics of like, hey, you're going to be in this higher tax bracket. If you sell for a million dollars, you're in that higher tax bracket now. You're in that highest tax bracket. Yeah, exactly. And, and everyone sort of assumes that your tax rate on long-term capital gains is 10, 15, 20%, just based on what they're used to seeing on their tax returns. But yeah, you make a great point that one of the beautiful things about crypto in, in terms of investment is that it's turning regular people into you know uh, relatively wealthy or making them a lot of money. And certainly suddenly they're not used to paying these types of tax bills or dealing with these types of issues. And so just being aware even that doing a big cash out all at one time might push you up into brackets where you have a higher tax rate than you were expecting. Uh, you know, that's a big sting when you get the letter or the email from your tax preparer telling you what your balance owed is and it's significantly larger than you were thinking. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants to be in that position. So, right. Uh, and, and, you know, I think nothing can really be uh, overstated about the benefit of delaying when you actually have to pay those taxes, you know, um, for somebody who cashed out, you know, in the last bull run, if they sold in, in late December, 2017, you know, if you did that million dollars, like we just said, you know, that's a $200,000, $250,000 tax bill due in three months um, versus if they waited a week and sold in January, you know, they may be looking at a year and a half almost before they have to pay those taxes, you know, April of the next year. So that, you know, what can you use that money for in the meantime, you know, it could be invested conservatively and generate interest. I mean, interest on a million dollars can be significant. So um, there is a sort of an old saying in the tax world that a tax deferred is a tax avoided. So certainly just being able to wait to pay those taxes can have some benefits for you, but it's worth pointing out. And, and I'm the first to admit that you don't want to let the tail wag the dog. So taxes are a small part of your decision on, when you do a cash out, mm-hmm. you definitely don't want to, you know, unnecessarily expose yourself to big market risk or something just because you're trying to straddle the tax year and, and split up your gains between years. Um, don't let that be your primary decision. But if it fits within your strategy, your investment strategy, then it's an easy thing you can control. It's just the timing of when you actually make those sales. Right. How about the more sophisticated tax planning options aside from timing your sales? Sure, sure. So there's a lot of these. Um, we'll just kind of touch on the big ones just to keep it easy um, and informative. So really, the, the most popular ones focus around charitable giving. Um, that's because charitable donations are obviously tax deductible. And um, so that is one quick way to save money on your taxes. Now, I'm not talking about making an outright donation to charity because that actually never saves you more in taxes 
then you actually donate to the charity. So, you know, if you're in a 20% tax bracket, let's say, and you donate a dollar, you know, you're, you're giving up a dollar to save 20 cents on your taxes. You're still negative 80 cents. Uh, so your, you know, your outright contribution there isn't really a good tax planning strategy because the money in your pocket is still, is still reduced. Um, so instead, what you really want to do is be more sophisticated. And, and there are some vehicles for charitable giving that not only give you the charitable deduction, but also give you more dollars back in your pocket so that it actually becomes a viable planning strategy. So um, the main one that you may have heard of is what's called a charitable remainder trust. There's actually a, many different variations of this structure. Um, you'll hear them called a, a CRUT, a CRAT, a NIMCRUT. They're all basically the same concept, uh, just with some twists in terms of how they're actually formulated. But the basic idea is the same. So that is that you establish this special type of trust, a charitable remainder trust, and fund it with appreciated assets. So you can do this with real estate, stock, and Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. It doesn't matter. Um, when you set up the trust and, and fund it with your Bitcoin, let's say, you receive a charitable contribution deduction for setting that up. So that's your first tax benefit. Then the trust can sell the Bitcoin and it pays no capital gains tax. So that's your second kind of tax benefit there. Uh, yeah. and the, the, the trust can then reinvest the, the proceeds from that sale into other income producing assets. And then what happens is the trust pays you an annuity for the rest of your life. So that's a guaranteed income stream, um, another benefit there. And when you die, um, whatever's left in that trust goes to charity. So if you actually are you know, inclined to support a charity, and, and you can actually do this with what's called a donor advised fund that maybe your family controls um, how, you know, how that money is used on the charitable side, um, you have another benefit there in terms of, uh, of supporting charity. So let me give you just a kind of a basic example to show you how this uh, works out. So let's say we, you know, we've got that big bull run and, and somebody wants to liquidate uh, like $1.5 million of cryptocurrency. If they just sold it outright, the tax on that would be about $375,000. So they'd be left over with about uh, $1.1 left over to invest. And if you assume like a 5% rate of return, then they're probably generating about $56,000 a year in terms of a cash flow. Um, so Keep that in mind, we'll compare it to what happens if you use a charitable remainder trust. And the first thing I should say is that you wouldn't put all of that 1.5 million of crypto into the charitable remainder trust. You actually wanna split it up where you sell some outright and pay the tax and also put some into the charitable remainder trust. So let's just make it simple and say you did half and half. So 750,000 of crypto into the charitable remainder trust, $750,000 that you just sell personally. Mm -hmm. uh, the 750 you sold through the charitable remainder trust, like I said, pays no capital gains. When you sell the 750 yourself, your taxes on that would be about 195,000. Okay, but remember, you get a charitable deduction for when you set up the charitable remainder trust. And under these uh, facts, the deduction would be about $275,000. So that, based on your tax rate, ends up saving you about 125,000 in taxes. So your tax would, would be 195000 on that cash out of the seven fifty, but you get this $125,000 off your taxes because of the charitable contribution. So you're only paying suddenly 70000 of taxes on when you sold $750,000 of crypto. Going forward, you still have, remember, we didn't put it all in the, in the trust, so you still have 
about 680,000 left over from that 750 by the time you pay the taxes. So um, if you invest that, we'll just keep assuming 5% uh, rate of return, you'd be getting about 34,000 a year from that. Meanwhile, the charitable trust is also paying you an annuity and we can set that at 5%, let's say. So you're getting about 37,000 from the charitable remainder trust as well. So now every year, you know, for the rest of your life, between the money coming off the, uh, the leftover 680 you invested and the money coming out of the charitable remainder trust, you're actually getting about $72,000 a year versus if you remember, you were only getting 56,000 a year if you had just sold the whole amount outright. So compounded for the rest of your life, that extra you know, 15, 20 grand a year is substantial year over year. And then at your death, you know, whatever's left in that remainder trust goes to charity. Um, you, know, you can have like the, the donor advised fund or something on that if you don't wanna support a particular charity, there's a lot of flexibility there. But the idea is that you know, you're saving taxes, you're putting more money in your own pocket and you're benefiting charity. So it gives you a really a nice three benefits uh, for setting up the structure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the crypto population tends to skew somewhat younger. I mean, you know, twenties, thirties, where those people aren't thinking about, I'm going to die in five years. Yeah. I mean, actually you bring up a really interesting point of the crypto, you know, uh, investment segment is definitely on the younger side. And that's you know a good thing in terms of you have your whole life to make very smart planning decisions, and we'll talk about like some smart planning decisions even that like Mark Zuckerberg made you know when Facebook before it even got big. Um, so you can make these decisions when you're younger, and in fact, it, it's the best time to do it. And you know we've all been 21, and there's definitely you know younger guys out there who have significant crypto portfolios, and I've had these conversations with them, and it can be hard to get people on board with long-term tax planning when they're young, because like you said, they're not knocking on death's door and they're not thinking about it. But this is where the benefit really comes because you have more years for these benefits to compound and and, they just keep accruing over your lifetime. It can really add up to extremely significant, you know, uh, uh, wealth accrual that that can benefit you and and future generations in your family. So um, being young, it's actually the best time to look into some of these things. So with regards to this uh, Chubb Remainder Trust, I, I should just point out that there are a lot of complexities here I'm, I'm not addressing. And so mm-hmm. remainder trusts are not something you should do by yourself because there are all kinds of very strict rules that have to be followed. Um, for example, you can't just make the annuity whatever you want. Um, the IRS has some very specific calculations you have to follow for calculating that annuity. And if it's not correct, then the whole thing fails. You know, you lose the charitable contribution and you might be paying back taxes and penalties. So really you need um, a pretty uh, sophisticated tax advisor who can help you run those calculations and figure out um, what you can and can't do with a charitable remainder trust, uh, depending on your circumstances. So uh, definitely look for somebody to help you do that if this is something you're interested in pursuing. So in one of my past podcasts, I spoke with Drew Kronowski and he brought up uh, qualified opportunity zones as a tax reduction strategy. Can you talk a little bit about qualified opportunity zones and how they relate to tax planning? Yeah, absolutely. So opportunity zones are basically the new kid on the block that was included with the tax bill in 2017. So the basic idea of the opportunity zone is that you can reinvest proceeds from the sale of an asset like Bitcoin. Um, within 180 days into what's called an opportunity zone investment. So these are designated areas all around the country that Congress determined need more additional investment. So this program is essentially being offered to incentivize that investment. 
So opportunity zones include, uh, you know, they include a, a business within the opportunity zone, real estate, um, or what's actually cropping up now are what are called qualified opportunity zone funds. So these are basically like buying a stock. So it's a company that is operating either a business or owning real estate within the opportunity zone. And so that makes it possible for you as the individual investor to just buy some shares like you would stock in the opportunity zone. So it makes it much easier to reinvest your proceeds into um, a qualified opportunity zone. So um, like I mentioned, uh, the rules on these are, are pretty complicated, but um, there are, here are the basic benefits of investing in an opportunity zone. So first of all, you have no capital gains on the Bitcoin you sold until 2026. That deferred gain is then reduced by 10% as long as you keep your investment in the qualified opportunity zone for at least five years. Um, and it actually goes down by 15% if you invest by the end of this year. So that, that benefit will go down to 10% for future investments. Um, and then the, the big kicker is that you'll never owe capital gain tax on the appreciation of the opportunity zone investment as long as you hold it for more than 10 years. So let's look at a simple example. Um, if you're going to sell a million dollars worth of Bitcoin in 2019, uh, let's assume you have zero cost basis. You can either pay tax on that million dollars of Bitcoin or you can reinvest it into a qualified opportunity uh, zone. And the easiest way to do that would be through a qualified opportunity zone fund. Um, you pay no capital gains tax on the Bitcoin. So that's a couple hundred thousand dollars of savings. In 2026, you'd have to recognize the original gain from the Bitcoin sale. So you just deferred it seven years. Mm -hmm. And at this point, because you held it more than five years, your gain is no longer a million. You had a 10% reduction. So now you actually only pay tax on 900,000 of gains. So you're saving some money there on your taxes as well. And then if you sell the opportunity fund in, um, in 2029, so that would be 10 years from now, you actually pay zero capital gains tax on whatever appreciations happen in that investment. So let's say your qualified opportunity fund doubled over that 10 year period. You wouldn't owe any capital gains tax on that. You'd put $2 million in your pocket, but you only pay taxes on that 900,000 from the Bitcoin sale. So effectively you've actually avoided over $400,000 in taxes by reinvesting those original proceeds into the opportunity zone investment. Just as when Drew Konoski was talking about it, those are some pretty insane strategies that you can utilize that exist. If you've already made some money, these are really solid ways to utilize those earnings for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the opportunity zones are all over the country. I mean, they're everywhere. So there's all kinds of opportunity there. There's, you know, some of them are, are great investments, you know, maybe some of them aren't as good, you know, depending on the areas. But that's something you can do some due diligence on as an investor or these opportunity zone funds, you know, really make it accessible. You don't have to go and be able to buy an office building, for example, in a opportunity zone. You just need, you know, to be able to buy the, the shares in the fund. And it's like buying an ETF or something. It's really quite simple. Um, and so there's all kinds of opportunity there. This is really becoming sort of the most popular tax deferral strategy right now. It's, it's really, really uh, coming into its own. People are realizing that being able to defer your taxes for seven years right. is potentially huge. Um, you know, just like I said before, tax deferred is tax avoided. I mean, seven years is as good as it gets in terms of deferring tax. So that, that's a great benefit. Um, I'll point out, uh, you know, I'm up in Reno, Nevada. 
we have opportunity zones here. They've been really popular. And anybody who's interested in sort of a, a you know, crypto related opportunity zone, you can check out a project up here. It's called Blockchains LLC. Um, I have no affiliation with it, but these guys are were early Bitcoin adopters. They're, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They bought 67,000 acres outside of Reno and are developing this huge blockchain based community or utopia or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they've, they've got a, bought a bank and they're, they're building these crypto incubators. It's a really interesting project, but they huh. fall within the opportunity zone fund. So, you know, you can invest in their project and you're actually, you know, qualify for these uh, tax deferrals we just talked about. Wow. That's awesome. I, I wasn't really aware of the ability to kind of like buy stocks as a qualified opportunity zone, like, you know, putting your money in a company you believe in. That's like yeah. you said, if you don't want to relocate somewhere and build an office somewhere, you know, you can just put some money if you believe in something. That sounds like a really cool project too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super interesting project. And then, um, yeah, the, the way those funds work, as long as it's a qualified opportunity zone fund, then yeah, it's just like buying stock. It, it can be really powerful and, and easy to do. So definitely something that you should keep in mind if you're planning on um, doing a cash out and maybe you don't need the money right away and you know, you're not planning on paying off your mortgage with it. You just want it to grow. This is a great follow-up investment if you're diversifying your, your crypto portfolio. And just like the, uh, just like the trust, I mean, you could do half and half, right? Like you can do half in a opportunity zone. You can do half and just cash out and keep that money, pay the taxes on it. So you're still getting yeah. some money. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I probably wasn't very clear about that when we were talking about the charitable remainder trust, but the idea is that there's definitely an optimized um, point where you balance these different tax strategies. And so you want to sell some outright, you know, pay the taxes, put some in the charitable remainder trust. So you get that charitable contribution deduction that yep. will save you on the taxes you're paying on the amount you sold outright. And then after you sell it outright, you know, you can put in as much of that as you want into one of these qualified opportunity zones and then not pay taxes on that, on those proceeds until 2026. And, and even further reduce your tax bill. So that's a, a great point is that you really want to try and optimize the strategies and, and find that sweet spot where you're, you're balancing everything out and paying the minimum amount of taxes as, as you can. Yeah. So there is a lot of stuff out there. I mean, this is a great topic to talk about for anybody that is planning on getting wealthy from crypto. And like I said, I'm sure most of our listeners are optimists who want to make money off crypto. I mean, they may also just be people interested in the technology, but if you really believe in crypto and you think that one of these days it's going to happen to you, then these are definitely strategies that you would be very wise to take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is happening. I mean, we work with people all the time who it's already happened to, and you know, I don't think it's too late. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely lots of potential for, for Bitcoin and, and other crypto to continue growing, especially as you know, more and more uh, interest comes in in terms of investment. There, there's plenty of upside here. So I think there's a real possibility for a lot of people who normally wouldn't be very concerned about sophisticated tax planning to suddenly find themselves in the position where they need to worry about it and, and plan ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And then it's also there's really good solutions right now. I mean, maybe these solutions didn't exist back in the day. They're, you know, qualified opportunity zones are fairly new. I mean, these are really great strategies that you can utilize, like I just said. But these are for federal taxes, right? This is we're talking about federal taxes here. What about yeah. state taxes? How do these strategies affect state taxes? Yeah, that's right. So these are, are mostly for federal taxes. Um, the Chill Remainder Trust does work for state income taxes, but the opportunity zones don't work in all states. Uh, California, New York, North Carolina, I think are, are three that do not recognize opportunity zone investments. Uh, 
Um, so if you live in one of those states, maybe your best strategy is to move to Nevada or some other state with no income tax. This is another tax planning strategy. You, obviously, you could actually relocate, and many people do, out of high-tax jurisdictions before they do a, a Bitcoin cash out. But um, you don't have to physically move. There actually is a tax planning strategy where you just move some of your assets out of California or New York or whatever state you're in that has a, an income tax. Um, and you park them in a state like Nevada that doesn't have an income tax. And so this is done with what's called a, a, a Ning trust. That's a Nevada incomplete non-grantor uh, trust. So that's kind of a mouthful, but basically it's a special type of trust um, that pays its own taxes. And the idea is that you fund it with investment assets. And when that trust sells those assets, okay, or has income from interest or dividends or whatever it is, they're, they're taxable in Nevada. So they pay federal taxes but they don't pay your state income taxes. So if you live in California, for example, the max tax rate is 13% a year. So if, if you set up one of these Ning trusts in Nevada, and there's other states that do it, you can do like South Dakota or Wyoming or Delaware, et cetera. But, yeah, but Nevada is uh, much more exciting than those states. Yeah, honestly, I'm, you know, I practice here in Nevada. The laws here are, are very, very favorable for, for this type of trust, probably the best in the country. And, and we definitely have a lot of investment from you know, California. This has become a, a really popular structure because you can park these investments that you plan to let grow long term in a trust in Nevada and you're saving 13% a year on your California taxes. That's, that can be significant, especially if you compound that out over, you know, decades, like you said, if you're on the younger side, like most crypto investors are, um, that's a substantial potential benefit. So, um, like every tax strategy, there's downside, um, setting up one of these trusts, it's irrevocable means you can't change the trust later. So you are kind of set in terms of, uh, once you put the money into it, um, you have to have a third party serve as the trustee. You can't be the trustee. So that means you're not going to have direct control over the funds. Um, it's up to the trustee to decide what happens to the money. So in that regard, you're giving up some control, but frankly, you know, these trustees in Nevada wouldn't be in business very long if they just flat out refused to ever give you any money back from the trust. So I wouldn't worry about that. But the idea is that this is for funds that you want to let grow as an investment and aren't something you're going to be using to pay your bills all the time. Um, and, and kind of the, the other benefit of this is not a tax benefit, but these trusts are asset protected, which means that if you're ever sued, you know, maybe you get in a car accident or somebody's hurt on your property or you get you know, into a bad business deal and it goes bankrupt and you get sued. Um, any of those things happen or divorce even. Um, if you're subject to a lawsuit, the money that's in this asset protection trust in Nevada is completely protected. Hmm. Um, and, and there's very, very limited circumstances where it can be taken back out of that trust. So um, it, it's a great strategy for, for preserving wealth and protecting wealth as well as growing it since you get to avoid those California income taxes. And I should point out the only time you pay the California income taxes in, in our example is if the trustee distributes money to you and you're still living in California. You know, when you receive that money, you, you, you may have some income tax there, but, but that's it. As long as you let it grow, you're, you're avoiding that California income tax. As I have said multiple times during the podcast, these are pretty amazing strategies. So some of them are complex. Obviously, you do need to speak with somebody like you, like a tax planning professional. But what kind of income level are we talking here? Like, you know, we've been using a million dollars as an example. If somebody's making, you know, $500,000 from crypto, what kind of level are we talking of income where they should start thinking about these strategies? 
Yeah. I mean, we're definitely talking about higher income levels. Um, you know, definitely seven figures, so a million plus is, is where you really start to see the biggest bang for your buck with setting these structures up. Because like you mentioned, most of these are not DIY solutions. You know, you do need help from a, a tax advisor, you know, an attorney and that kind of thing. And so there are expenses related to setting these up. So if you're, you know, spending money to set these up and, and you're only making a hundred grand, you know, from, from crypto, you're probably not going to get enough benefit to make that worthwhile. There's really not a bright line. Um, half a million a year, if you're making that, I mean, you know, you could be in a position there to, to start talking about tax planning and, and that would actually be a good fit for something like a, the Ning Trust that we were talking about where you um, can start parking assets out of state just to let them grow or, or at least be asset protected. But um, yeah, these are, these are definitely tax planning strategies that are intended for, for higher net worth. And I would use a million as just kind of a soft cutoff point, but it's really more a matter of cost benefit. And, and that'll depend on kind of your own circumstances and your own feelings about the benefits. Okay. So we've been talking about a lot of income tax strategies. There are other taxes that people who are making this kind of income will have to worry about, like the estate tax, for example. Can you talk a little bit about the estate tax? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a good question. Estate tax is certainly something worth keeping an eye on if, if you end up becoming a more high net uh, worth individual, especially if it's from uh, some kind of big bull run in crypto, because uh, it can creep up on you pretty suddenly. Um, so for, for anyone who doesn't know, the estate tax is basically a 40% tax that applies to everything you own at your death. Um, now, currently, each person has an estate tax exemption that's about $11 million. Um, and so you'd only be paying that tax on your assets that are worth more than that at your death. And you can actually pass that $11 million on that exemption onto your spouse if you're married. So as a married couple, you're really looking at more like a $22 million estate tax exemption. So realistically, not many people are worth more than $22 million, you know, as a couple or 11 million individually. And, and so most people don't actually worry very much about the estate taxes. Um, but it's worth bringing up because um, I suppose if it's a big enough bull run, you know, maybe you would be worried about that. But um, aside from that, the estate tax exemption is not guaranteed to stay at 11 or 22 million. Right. Uh, for example, back in 2011, it was only 675,000. Um, and so a lot of people have more than $675,000 worth of assets when they die. I mean, your house can be worth more than that. So um, it's not guaranteed to remain that high forever. So I doubt it'll ever go back down to 675,000. Um, although I guess it's possible, but you know, it was five and a half million just two years ago. It was Trump's tax plan that doubled it to 11 million. And Clinton actually had her tax plan was to reduce the exemption from five and a half million down to three and a half million per person. So, you know, that might be a more realistic number to expect in the future, you know, could be around there. It's been a million dollars in the past. So, you know, I, I would expect it to be somewhere in that range. So even though you may not be over that limit now, or if you are, then this part, you know, will be especially applicable to you. But um, it's possible either that the estate tax exemption is going to come down significantly, or, um, you know, maybe when combined with a growth in, in the value of, of crypto and Bitcoin, that you end up needing to worry about estate taxes, because that 40% rate is is pretty stiff. Um, and, and I should point out, you know, um, in terms of dealing with the estate tax, I mean, um, in terms of planning, the you might be wondering, why don't I just give away, you know, everything over 11 million to my family and, and that way I don't own it at my death. Wouldn't that work? 
Um, the answer is no. You know, the estate tax exemption, the 11 million is, is for gifts as well. It's a, what's called a unified exemption. So it covers everything. So um, any gift you make of more than $15,000 uh, per person per year actually uses up that estate tax exemption of 11 million. So once you use it up, you start paying the gift tax, which is the same as the estate tax, 40% on everything after that. So unfortunately it's not as easy just to give away, you know, property. Once you start getting over that limit, that, that would still cause you the same problem. What is a strategy that somebody could use for reducing their estate tax? So there, there are actually some, some very effective tools. And the idea is to move assets out of your estate without using up that $11 million exemption and without having to pay any gift taxes. So, you know, ideally what you would be doing is gifting Bitcoin to either your family or your kids or, or a trust now when it's worth comparatively little uh, Bitcoin. And then when in the future, if the price goes up considerably, it, that property is no longer yours. It, it's not something that's subject to the estate tax. So, um, the, the most powerful tool for doing this is a special type of trust called a grantor retained annuity trust. And we call it a GRAT. Um, and the basics of a GRAT, I can tell you real fast, is that you would set it up and then transfer the Bitcoin um, that you hold into the GRAT. And it doesn't sell it. You know, we're not talking about a charitable remainder trust. Um, instead, the GRAT just holds the Bitcoin and it pays you an annuity for a certain number of years. And whatever's left over in the GRAT, once those years are up, gets to go to your family. And it's not a taxable gift. There's no um, uh, using up of your estate tax exemption. So, and you don't even have to have children to do it. Uh, you can do it to a trust for your future children, you know, assuming you have them. Hmm. Um, so let me give you an example. Uh, you know, basically, ideally with a GRAT, you want to do it for two years is how we normally do them. And you set the annuity rate so there'll be nothing left at the end of the two years. It means you get back all the property you put into it. And you might be wondering, why would you do that? Well, the plan is that if the Bitcoin grows in the GRAT, then all of that appreciation is getting transferred to your, your kids or your other family with no estate or gift tax. So here's an example. Let's say right now you have 100 Bitcoin. You could transfer that, you know, it's about a million dollars. So, you know, we're sticking with that number, it seems like for today. So uh, transfer your 100 Bitcoin into a GRAT. It's a two-year term. It'll pay you a $500,000 per year annuity. And that's payable in Bitcoin, not cash. So you're not actually selling anything. Hmm. Um, and let's say that during this two-year window, that's when the big bull run happens for Bitcoin. And it shoots up to $200,000 of Bitcoin. Well, the GRAT pays you back that 500,000 worth of Bitcoin uh, each year. So a million total. Um, you know, that's only at $200,000 of Bitcoin, that's only two and a half Bitcoin, but you put in 10. So that remaining seven and a half Bitcoin goes to your kids or the trust you set up for them. And that's worth $15 million, at, you know, at 200,000 of Bitcoin. So normally that would, you couldn't just gift your kids $15 million. That would use up your estate tax exemption and you'd owe 40 percent tax on on the uh you know the four million that's uh, that's above the 11 million dollar exemption now does it cash out at the end so like i know you said you deposit bitcoin into this grant or you put bitcoin into this grant and then it you know distributes you the bitcoin back so if there's a profit then the profit stays in the grant itself but mm -hmm. 
when it's going to your kids, say, for example, like let's say 10 years you pass away and you want it to go to your kids and you originally had, you had made $500,000 profit and it's in that grant, it doesn't pay them in Bitcoin, right? It sells after the two years and then that profit is cash in the grant. You can do it either way you want. So with this example, you know, if you did it for two years, starting with 10 Bitcoin, you'd get paid back 2.5 Bitcoin. You can do whatever you want with it. You know, it's your Bitcoin still. The, the grat then still holds that seven and a half Bitcoin as the extra leftover. And that can be transferred directly to your, you know, your family, to your kids. You could just, it could just transfer it to their wallet address. Um, it could sell it and, and give them the money, but that's a taxable sale. So they would owe tax in that case. But, um, you know, the thing to keep in mind, and, and this can get really confusing with taxes, is that the income tax is different than and completely separate from the estate tax. A grat does not help you with income taxes. It only helps you with the estate tax. So right. it's really for transferring wealth without paying that 40% tax. So, and it, it works really, really well. So I'll give you an example. Mark Zuckerberg did this back in 2008 with Facebook stock. Now, if you remember in 08, Facebook was still pretty small. I mean, that was back when you had to have a college email address to sign up for it. Right. But he knew that it was going to be big. And so he didn't have kids. I don't even think he was married yet but he set up a special type of trust for his future children. And then he set up a grat and put Facebook stock in it. And then we don't know the term for how many years he did, if he did two years or five years or whatever he did, but it's estimated that he actually transferred about $185 million to his, that trust for his kids as a result wow. of that grat. Now he may have paid income tax on that. We, you know, we don't know if he actually sold the Facebook stock, but you, there's no way to transfer $185 million to your kids without paying 40% taxes. I mean, that's, you know, $90 million tax. Yeah. Be avoided by putting it through the grat. Yeah. I mean, I, if I was, if I was his kid, I would definitely be like, dad, what the hell? You only gave me 90 million instead of 180 million. I'm super pissed. I'm not <laughs> yeah, talking it's terrible. What a tragedy. <laughs> um, but the Walton family's done this with, you know, they own Walmart. They, they have lots of examples of them doing it. They're one of the, the first big families to do it with stock. They transferred billions to uh, their, you know, kids and, and grandkids without paying estate taxes. So um, it's, it's really a potentially a very big loophole in the estate and gift tax. And it's, it's all based, though, on the possibility that the assets you put into the grat go up significantly in value while they're in there. Um, you know, if they don't, what happens? Well, nothing. I mean, you know, the grat pays you back the annuity. So if you put 10 Bitcoin in, let's say, and the bull run didn't happen, it, you just get paid back that five Bitcoin each year as your annuity. And then you have all 10 Bitcoin back and the grat, you know, didn't do anything for you. The only thing you did was waste your time. Um, but there's no consequence to it. So it's something that with clients, you normally do like a ladder where you do multiple grats two years each and you just keep cycling the Bitcoin back into it waiting for that bull run to happen. And so I've seen this. Uh, I have a client who did this back in 2015. And I'll admit I wasn't the attorney who set up the grant for him, but I, I work with them now. And it was great foresight because this guy was a, a whale. He, had, he put 12,000 Bitcoin into a grat in 2014 or 2015. You know, that was back when Bitcoin was only $200. And he did, it, was, it took two grats to, to, for the bull market to happen in 2017. So you do two years each on that second grat, you know, Bitcoin hit, um, it's going to transfer 12,000 Bitcoin to his kids, basically tax free. I mean that depending on what Bitcoin ends up going to in the future, I mean, it could be billions that's transferred 
tax-free to his kids because no matter what happens once the grat's over, the Bitcoin belongs to his children. It's not part of his taxable estate. He never has to pay the state tax on that. Even if it's worth, you know, a billion dollars in the future, it's already out. It, it'll never be taxed. So you have a, a incredible opportunity if you're at risk of paying the estate tax or you believe that Bitcoin, you know, is really going to go to the moon to set this up in a way that allows you to transfer considerable wealth. And we're doing this not just with Bitcoin. I mean, with altcoins, I mean, we have a very big Zcash holder who set up a grat with thousands and thousands of Zcash, you know, and the idea being that if Zcash goes up significantly, like he thinks, um, he'll be passing on millions to his kids without paying the estate tax. Hmm. And, and that's something that you have to worry about when you, when you start to get into the higher net worth figures. Yeah. Interesting. Your kids will thank you for sure. If you left them a successful coin, then your kids will thank you. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, it can be a, it can be a little uh, tough to wrap your head around, you know, people being worried about this, but if you think about it, I mean, uh, you know, with the Mark Zuckerberg example, I mean, when it's your family, you want to transfer as much wealth to them as you can. And if you're fortunate enough to become wealthy from, you know, cryptocurrency, then, you know, for Zuckerberg, I mean, saving $80 million in taxes, you know, is a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, And even if you only save $800,000 in taxes, you know, I'm sure your family would appreciate having that extra 800,000, you know, uh, these strategies are are pretty effective. So at the end of the term, so if you do a two year grat, it's paid out. So you can either pay directly to your kids and they can do whatever they want with it. So they can sell it if they want, you know, spend the money or the more popular approach, because you don't want to just hand your kids millions of dollars is to set up a, a trust for your kids. So the trust receives that 50,000 Zcash, you know, that was left over when the grat ended. And then it can, you know, if you don't think Zcash can keep going, you know, you know, that's worth millions of dollars. The, the trust can just sell the Zcash, you know, pay the tax. Now you've got millions of dollars in this trust for your kids. It can pay for their college, you know, buy them houses, do whatever you want with it. I mean, it has a, a great potential going forward to, to be used by your family. It, it uh, doesn't have to stay invested in, in Zcash or crypto in general if you don't okay. want to. Okay, that makes sense. And it's a good way of illustrating that you can utilize all of these strategies kind of together that we've been discussing today. Uh, you can utilize trust and you can utilize grads all in, in unison. Definitely. So what would you say are the main takeaways from uh, our conversation today, Tyson? Um, you know, I just say the big one is just to make sure that you're planning ahead. Um, like I mentioned, the worst thing you can do is is – do a cash out and then come and ask what you can do for your tax planning. Um, I guess the opportunity zone is one of those few opportunities that, you know, chances you have to do something afterwards because you do have 180 days to reinvest. But aside from that, um, all this really does require uh, foresight. So just make sure that if you're, you know, heavily invested in crypto, um, if, if you believe that there's going to be another bull run, keep these things in the back of your mind. And maybe if the market starts looking the direction you want it to look and, and you are starting to become concerned about potential income taxes, if you decide to do a cash out, um, make sure you, you find a good tax advisor and start having these conversations uh, well in advance. So you have time to set all these up and make sure that, you know, you're paying as little as possible to uncle Sam. All right, Tyson. So while I have you here, you know, in the past, month or two, the IRS has been sending out a lot of letters. We did a podcast with Alex Kugelman about the 6173, 6174s, 6174A letters. After that, some people started receiving a CP2000 from the IRS. You know, we put out a blog post about it with some information, but since I have you here, can you kind of um, talk to us about the CP2000 a little bit? 
what it means? Yeah, sure, sure. So the CP2000 is, um, is a computer-generated letter by the IRS. And what happens is it's generated automatically when the IRS receives um, information about your income from a, a 1099 and doesn't see that, that income reported on your tax return. So um, we've seen this before, actually, with crypto. We had one come up a, a, probably a year ago, at least. Um, and in that case, uh, our client was, um, had income from Gemini. And Gemini had issued a 1099K, which is a, a special type of 1099 that's usually used for payment processors and businesses accepting credit cards. I, I still don't know why or I still don't agree with the fact that they're using it for crypto trading because it, it doesn't match up. And mm-hmm. um, so that's exactly what happened. They, they issued this 1099K and the IRS computer didn't see it reported on the taxpayer's tax return. So they, the IRS generated the CP2000 letter sent it to the client and it said, Hey, you know, we, we have this 1099 K showing your income. We don't see on your tax return. Here's how much tax you'll owe. We'll just add it to your return and, you know, add this balance to your amount owed unless you respond. Hmm. And so we responded and just explained that the 1099 K income from Gemini was already reported on the tax return as gross proceeds from asset sales on schedule D and we never heard anything back from the IRS. They, they dropped it. So um, I think anyone receiving the CP2000 should just keep in mind that it is a computer-generated letter. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody looked at their tax return and thinks they're you know, committing a crime or something. Um, it just means the IRS computer detected a mismatch between the information they've received from third parties and what's on the tax return. So assuming that the tax return is accurate and you did correctly file it, then it's most likely something like that where it was at some kind of 1099 from Gemini or Coinbase issues the 1099 also depending on your transaction volume. So that's probably what it is. And um, in most cases, you know, you, you should be able just to respond to the IRS and say that those amounts were already reported on Schedule D of your tax return. And um, that should make it go away. But I definitely consult with your you know, tax preparer to make sure that that's all there and accurate before you respond. Yeah, because I imagine that that's going to be a big thing for a lot of people. Like if it's report, if it's adding your 1099K proceeds to your overall income, I mean, those 1099Ks show some pretty huge proceeds because as we know, they're like gross proceeds, um, don't take into account cost bases or even fees. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they, they're huge. Yeah. I mean, for example, I think this guy's 1099K was like 48 million. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because he was doing a lot of trading. And so, like you said, it doesn't count cost basis. It's just the gross proceeds every trade. All right. And so his like net profit was really only like a hundred grand. All right. Uh, but he was just doing a ton of trading. So yeah, it can be a, a pretty ridiculous number that shows up. That's why that 1099K is, you know, such a silly thing to report right. on. Um, hopefully they stop doing that. But, um, you know, the the response should be that these are already being reported as, as gross proceeds on Schedule D. And and okay. that should solve the problem. But uh, definitely, it's another reminder, you know, those 6174 letters, all of that's a, a great reminder that you need to be making sure that your taxes are accurate. And uh, right now, the IRS is sort of in the beginning stages of this compliance campaign where they're, you know, nudging the general population, the general crypto population into compliance. And so these letters are being sent out a little bit as a scare tactic, you know, a little bit to say, hey, you know, we're watching, make sure your taxes are accurate. So it, it, it's another reminder that you need to be, you know, using um, good tools like Bitcoin.tax and, and having a, you know, a good tax preparer assist you with making sure everything's correct. 
Yeah, absolutely. And to also stay educated, right? Because if you're getting, like we just said, this this form that says that you owe the amount that's on your 1099K and you're not informed, you might be <laughs> not having a great yeah. day after you get that letter. Yeah. So it's important to stay stay informed, listen to podcasts like this, look for information, like actually good information about this sort of stuff um, so you're not having bad days when you receive these letters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think IRS letters are always scary. You know, people receive them and they don't sleep for nights. You know, they, they can, it's really easy to panic when you get these letters from the IRS. But generally, I, I would tell people, don't panic when you get letters like this from the IRS. That So far, they all seem to be computer generated. They're automated. It doesn't mean that they're going to come kicking down your door pretty soon. You know, it, it, it's just making, telling you to make sure your taxes are accurate. But if they're accurate, you're going to be okay. Um, just put in your effort to make sure your taxes are clean and, and that's all you need to worry about. Awesome. Well, I, I appreciate that. I wanted to get, you know, information from a pro like yourself. So I appreciate you sharing that with us, Tyson. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, thank you for being here today. Thanks for giving us all the other good information as well. I think those strategies are pretty um, valuable and I hope a lot of people listening will eventually get to utilize those strategies. I hope it does become a bull run and pe- become crypto rich again and they're able yeah, to yeah. utilize these great strategies to avoid paying a ton of taxes. So I appreciate you sharing those with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely. It's a good conversation. I appreciate you having me on. Yep. Thanks, Tyson. All right. And if you are looking for a tool to help you calculate the taxes you owe for this or the next tax year, Bitcoin.tax has been calculating crypto capital gains for more than five years and has calculated over 1 billion capital gains transactions. We've also recently launched our new CryptoCPA.tax service for CPAs, firms, and other tax professionals. CryptoCPA.tax allows tax professionals and firms to utilize the powerful Bitcoin.tax calculation engine to calculate their clients' crypto capital gains. CryptoCPA.tax supports multiple clients, multiple users, and white-label branding. It's never been easier to cater to the always expanding population of cryptocurrency clients, so sign up today at CryptoCPA.tax. CryptoCPA.tax is also home to our new crypto tax directory. The directory allows CPAs, tax preparers, and accountants to add a free entry advertising their services directly to the large population of crypto users. If you're a Bitcoin.tax user and looking for an accountant, you can also utilize the new directory by searching for a tax professional in your area. Everybody, thanks for listening and be sure to stay tuned for more cryptocurrency and blockchain related podcasts.